KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, March 30th. What's holding up the process for receiving CalFresh benefits? We'll have more on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County officials say about 20% of San Diegans 16 and older are now fully immunized against COVID-19. Meanwhile, vaccine supplies continue to fluctuate, and the Scripps Vaccination Superstation at the Del Mar Fairgrounds will shut down for tomorrow because of the shortage. COVID-19 vaccines will be made available to people 50 and older beginning on Thursday, and then to everyone 16 and up starting April 15th. And the county will soon open three new vaccines vaccination sites in southeast San Diego, Escondido, and Sherman Heights. Nearly 40 of the more than 500 teenage girls who arrived at the San Diego Convention Center over the weekend have tested positive for COVID-19. None of the cases are serious, according to the Health and Human Services, but all of the girls are symptomatic at this time. The girls who tested positive are being sheltered away from the rest of the children. About 250 more unaccompanied migrant children were scheduled to fly into San Diego on Monday for a total of 750 youths. That's according to the city news. News service. Santa Ana winds will sweep through San Diego today, bringing warm temperatures. The warm weather will continue through the week before cooling down by the weekend. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Thousands of people across the county get CalFresh, commonly known as food stamps, to help them buy food. But KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser says the program regularly pushes out people who are still eligible for the extra money. Pescado. Fish. Well, salmon, which is at times very expensive. Maria Gonzalez de Ochoa stands outside her El Cajon apartment and talks about what she likes to buy with her CalFresh food stamps. El, el salmon. Salmon. Fresh chicken, the green organic kind. We like the good stuff when it is available. The 74-year-old house cleaner finally got on the program in 2019. It took them a while to reply, but blessed be God, they did accept me. But I only lasted a mere two months. Within a matter of months, her elation had turned to disappointment. Gonzalez de Ochoa was told her benefits had stopped because a report was missing. However, she says that's not right. I called and asked them if they had received it, and they said yes. But towards the end of December, I called them, and they said that it had been suspended due to that paper. Right now, under the CalFresh program, which distributes food stamps paid for by the federal government, an individual will receive $234 a month, a temporary increase due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
but this money comes with a number of strings attached. Every six months, recipients have to provide written proof of any and all changes to their employment status, family size, and living arrangements. They also have to submit to an interview, either in person or on the phone. If any of these steps are missed, the money stops. Households are six times more likely to leave the program in these months in which they have to jump through one of these paperwork hoops. Matt Unrath, a research fellow at UC Berkeley's California Policy Lab, says the complicated process regularly drives out CalFresh recipients who are still eligible for the program. In San Diego County and across the state, between half and three quarters of the recipients who left the program were still eligible for the benefits, according to the study. We think that this has to do with um, understaffing and a lack of training. Anahid Brackey is CEO of the San Diego Hunger Coalition, a nonprofit that helps people apply for CalFresh. She says there needs to be more county funding for caseworkers and call center operators who help people get their benefits. Um, we are, we will see um, whether it's been just a lack of funding that has contributed to that or not, now that we've got more political will to make these things happen. Um, but what we're seeing is a little bit too much comfort with how much people suffer trying to go through the process. San Diego County is doing what it can to help recipients, says Rick Wayne, the county's director for self-sufficiency programs. We do send it to them by mail with instructions on how to complete it and where to send it back. Um, we include a, uh, an envelope with uh, free postage on it. We also send all of our customers a text message reminder uh, when their uh, report is due. That message also has a link uh, where the customer can um, actually complete it electronically. But he says some people stop their benefits while they're still eligible because of, quote, individual choice. There have been some temporary changes to the program during COVID-19. For six months, no forms were required, and the interview requirement has been suspended, but will likely return in July. Also next year, households with only elderly or disabled individuals who have no earned income will not have to submit forms. But Unrath, the co-author of the Berkeley study, wants more. He says all recipients should only file paperwork once a year. It's going to be cheaper for government because you don't actually have to administer uh, these uh, recertifications as frequently. And it you know, saves households a lot of time and stress. And for the most part, you know, that type of reform would um, more likely benefit a bunch of eligible households than uh, allow ineligible households to remain enrolled. But that would take an act of Congress. That was KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. The San Diego Convention Center has become a temporary home for hundreds of young migrant girls who cross the southwest border seeking asylum. Multiple San Diego County organizations have now teamed up to provide an education to these teenagers during their stay. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong has more. 
Close to 700 teenage girls from various countries in Latin America are being provided temporary shelter at the convention center as of Monday night. The migrant children, who are between 13 and 17 years old, will be provided with an education in English and the arts for the duration of their stay, which will last through July. Roberto Carrillo is a principal at the San Diego County Office of Education's Juvenile Court and Community Schools. So definitely supports an English uh, acquisition of English. Definitely want to start introducing them into the arts and the visual arts and performing arts. Um, and also give them the opportunity to start um, expressing themselves through written uh, formats, you know, giving them basic understanding of the English language. Cadillo says about 13 teachers from districts all over San Diego have volunteered to work with the migrant students. Just writing poetry that's all focused on just giving them the opportunity to, to have that outlet. Um, I don't necessarily know their individual stories, but I could imagine um, it, it can just be a lot of difficulty. They've experienced many difficulties, which, you know, for the reasons why they're here. Instruction will start as soon as Tuesday once the youth have all arrived and settled in. Young people just got here. They're still arriving from what I understand. So it gives us an opportunity to kind of put everything together. So when we're ready to go, we hit the ground running and, and provide the, the the best possible program that we can for them. Cadio says community members who want to support these educational efforts should contact South Bay Community Services or the San Diego County Office of Education. And that was KPBS education reporter Joe Hong. Bay Area Assemblymember Rob Bonta, who's a Filipino-American, was named California's new attorney general last week. As Cap Radio's Sarah Mises Tan reports, many see Bonta as a bridge between the Asian-American and Pacific Islander community and law enforcement. Bonta is the state's first Filipino-American attorney general. As a result, many Sacramento AAPI leaders hope his appointment can change the way law enforcement handles hate incidents against people in the community. Janice O'Malley-Galizio is with the Sacramento OCA, an AAPI advocacy group. She says her organization hopes that Bonta can improve trust between the community and law enforcement. You know, when you look at what happened in Atlanta and the fact that it is not going to be considered a hate crime. It makes people second guess whether or not it makes sense to report any hate crimes or incidents. Arthi Coley of the Asian Law Caucus says she's optimistic because Bonta has a track record of protecting civil rights and standing up for the AAPI community. I believe Attorney General Bonta recognizes the need for accountability and I think he will be putting resources to ensure that there is accountability that recognizes racial hatred. Bonta said last week when accepting Governor Gavin Newsom's appointment that he would use his position as attorney general to help curb the rise in AAPI hate incidents and prosecute those responsible. And that was Cap Radio's Sarah Mises Tan reporting from Sacramento. Coming up, a new analysis of police stops in San Diego shows consistent bias in police practices. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by 
the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. The data has been consistent for years. Study after study has revealed police and sheriff's deputies disproportionately target minorities for stops, searches, arrests, and use of force. A new analysis by the San Diego Union-Tribune examined nearly half a million stops by San Diego police officers and sheriff's deputies between July of 2018 and December of 2020. Lindsay Winkley is a watchdog reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman about the study. So what were the findings, the main findings from your analysis? I think notably, we found that one in five stops um, initiated by the San Diego Police Department uh, involved Black people, even though Black individuals make up less than 6% of the city's population. So that's a a pretty big gap. Uh, San Diego offers... Officers were also more likely to use force on minority groups, including Black and Latino people, than whites. Uh, Sheriff's deputies were more likely to use force on Native Americans. Both departments searched Black and Native American people at higher rates than whites. And at the Sheriff's Department, um, those two minority groups were actually less likely to be found with contraband than white people when they were searched. Um, And sort of overall, San Diego police arrested, I mean, everybody, Native Americans, Blacks, Pacific Islanders, and Latinos at higher rates than white individuals. And these findings are mirrored statewide as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are very much in line with what we have seen at the state level. And um, to be honest, these are pretty in line with what we see across the country at police departments. What's been the response from the Sheriff's Department and Police Department about this data? Well, I will say that this sort of data doesn't surprise police leaders. I mean, this sort of data doesn't really surprise anybody at this point. I mean, when you talk to community leaders, when you talk to um, when you talk to police leaders, I mean, they have access to this. They know what the disparities are. Um, they know that that there are disparities across the board. I think when you're talking about the difference in how community activists see this data or experts, and when you see and how police departments generally look at this data, um, it's the cause of the disparity is what's under debate, right? Because community leaders, community activists, experts are very quick to point out that um, bias, that racism, explicit and implicit, are are fueling these disparities. And while police leaders are, are willing to acknowledge that bias likely plays a role in disparity, which I think is kind of, I mean, we've really come a long way that, that police leaders are um, identifying that as well. Um, but they feel that other uh, factors are more likely fueling disparity um, at, at greater levels than officer bias. Here's Sheriff Bill Gore's response from 2019 after data from a Campaign Zero report showed Blacks were twice as likely as whites to be stopped. I'm not saying there isn't a problem. I don't know. I want, and we're going to go out and hire an independent uh, group to come in and look at these statistics. If there's, I I want to know what the problem is so I can address it if there is a problem. I don't want to go off and just assume because 8% of the stops were African-American and only 5% of the population that my deputies are prejudiced. There's, there's maybe, where were these stops? What precinct? What what beat and how many African-Americans are in that beat? 
that was not really covered in this study. And I think if we're going to address the problem, uh, address a problem, we've got to properly identify the problem. I, I'm not putting my head in the sand. If there's a problem, we'll change our training. We'll we'll do uh, whatever it takes to make sure that my deputies are are abiding by the laws of the state and the constitution of the state of California. You know, now that that time has passed and there's even more data, do you think Sheriff Gore is putting his head in the sand here? Uh, That's a hard question to answer. I mean, I will say this. uh, The Sheriff's Department did partner with the Center for Policing Equity, which is the same which is the same group that the San Diego Police Department has partnered with. Um, And I mean, Center for Policing Equity is known um, for looking at data and coming up with sort of concrete policy changes um, that are meant to address disparity. I'll be honest, though, um, the Sheriff's Department wasn't overly communicative with us about this topic. And so I guess it's hard to say definitively sort of their stance on this. But, you know, when you say that it's hard to know if there's a problem. I mean, disparity is a problem. Disparity affects communities. Um, and whether or not you feel that officer bias is at the root cause of those disparities, uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be committed to making changes. So what's been the response from local organizations about this data? And how do they see this problem being fixed? You've got a couple of groups in San Diego who have been pushing hard for Um, a ban on consent searches. Um, So consent searches are when an officer can ask to search an individual, even if they don't necessarily suspect that there's kind of wrongdoing happening. Um, And research has shown that those sorts of searches are used disproportionately on people of color. Um, We found in our uh, analysis that the San Diego Police Department was more likely to ask to search uh, the Latino population. So within those consent searches, um, then the white population, despite the fact that white, the white population was more likely to be found with contraband um, within consent searches. Um, and so they'd like to see those just kind of go away or at the very least have much more stringent um, rules kind of placed on when they can happen. Um, and they also would like to see an end to things like protectual stops. I mean, that's an, an investigatory tactic that's used by police departments. You know, if they see an individual who they think might match a description of something that they're trying to investigate, they can use like a minor traffic violation to pull that person over um, and ask more detailed questions. Um, And that's really something that um, communities would like to see end. But ultimately those changes are sort of built on the foundation of decreasing the amount of interactions that police and community members have, right? Because we know that, these disparities exist because certain populations are just being contacted more often. And in your report, you say, as evidence of disparities persist, some experts argue that minority communities should not have to prove that racial bias is at the root of such discrepancies. Uh, Why is that? We know that the history of policing is racist. Um, I mean, they were born out of slave patrols. I mean, this is something that that's not a contested fact, really, at this point. But I think what that expert was saying, and I think what a lot of people are saying, is that it is difficult to prove, um, you know, bias beyond the shadow of a doubt within data, right? Um, It's not impossible, but it's difficult. Um, And I think what a lot of experts who study this data professionally, what they say is that uh, it should, the, the burden of proof should be as equally placed on police departments, if not more so, but beyond that, let's focus on addressing disparities. Let's not get caught in the weeds with, you know, where these disparities come from. Let's acknowledge that disparities impact communities and let's change that. That was Lindsay Winkley, watchdog reporter for the San Diego Union Tribune, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host 
Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.